You know, on Father's Day, every time Father's Day rolls around, uh, I always think about how much, as a dad, I desire to be a godly dad. I mean, it's the desire of my heart to raise my kids in such a way that they honor Jesus Christ as Lord, and, and I do this thing right and, and don't mess it up. And, and a lot of times, Father's Day messages just remind you as a dad of how, about how inadequate you've been. And certainly all of us dads have been inadequate at some level. But it's my hope today as we look at this passage in Psalm 1, just these first three verses, dads, that you'll walk away here with some tangible ideas about how you can be the godly dad that God desires you to be. Now, I was reading in Reader's Digest this week, and uh, I don't really often read Reader's Digest because I don't really like it, but uh, there's always funny stories in Reader's Digest. And the thing that amazes me is they... they they're in the funny section, but they're really not funny. I don't know if you've ever read these and know what I'm talking about. But they have all these cute little jokes and stories that I read, and I say, well, that's not really funny. And it, maybe it's just lost on a different generation. But on the Father's Day Reader's Digest, there were a bunch of supposed to be funny Father's Day stories, and, uh, and I didn't think they were funny at all. First of all, there was a story about a three-year-old that went looking for a, a, a Father's Day card. His mom took him to the store, and, and he was running around this Hallmark store and he looked at every single Father's Day card. And finally, the mom asked the kid, you know, what, what are you doing? And, and he said, well, I'm looking for the card where dad left me the money, you know. And I don't think that's funny. <laughs> because so many of your dads understand, right? They're like, my kid just wants me for money, right? You know, that's the end. The other one that, I, uh, that was in there that it was kind of cute, but n- really not all that funny because of, it's a little too true to life was uh, a story of this woman that was flying from Kansas City to Denver. And as she was landing in Denver, there was another mom traveling with her little boy there. And, uh, and the, she heard the mom say as they were getting off the plane, Now, honey, remember, when you see daddy, make sure you go hug daddy before the dog. Right? <laughs> and I thought, you know, that hits a little too close to home. All right? You know, I want to be loved. I guess I want my kids to see me as more than just the guy who pays the bills and gives them money. And, and, and I want them to love me more than the dog. And, and sometimes you think, if, if I've accomplished that, you know, I'm a, maybe a good dad. But I want to be more than that. I mean, the kind of dad that I want to be, I want to be a dad that teaches kids how to love. I mean, I, and I want to be a dad that loves the kids that God gave me. I want to think about them first. And I want to teach and model them how to be a disciple. I want to think about my kids first when all I want to do is collapse and and watch TV. I want to be a a dad that protects my kids. You know, to realize that God gave me and them to me. And be a dad that that shelters my kids when shelter is necessary, but doesn't over-shelter my kids so that they're never exposed to the world. I want to be a dad that gets the balance right. I want to be a dad that laughs with my kids. I want to be a dad that tickles and tickles them. And every time uh, we see slug bug green, we call it slug bug pickle because it rhymes with tickle and it's an opportunity for me to tickle them, you know. I want to have lots of laughter with my kids. I want to teach my boys how to be a man. I, do, I want to teach them that they look at me and see what it looks like to really be a man. You know, and I want to teach my girls what to expect from a man. So that someday they go, I had a great example of, of what a husband should be like. And so when they come to the point where they're looking for a husband, they have good expectations. I want to train my kids and teach them God's word. 
I want to show them how to love Jesus. And I, and I suppose on the list also is I want to be loved by my kids. I mean, who doesn't want that? What parent doesn't want to be loved by the kids that God gave them? And if I were to accomplish this whole list of things, I would feel like I'm a success as a dad. And if I were to accomplish them someday as a grandpa, I would also feel like I was a success as a grandpa. You know, some, someone has something to say about that. It has something to say about a dad or a grandpa that's truly blessed. It has something to say about being the kind of man that is blessed. And today I want to look at these three simple verses and see what it looks to be a blessed man. I mean, there it is right there on the screen. You can see it. I just want to look at a few words in here that talk about what it means to be blessed. First of all, you'll see it says, blessed is the man. How blessed is the man. What does it mean to be blessed? What, it mean to, what does it mean to be blessed? I mean, what does it mean? Does it mean stuff? I mean, is that how you know you're blessed if you got lots of stuff? Eh, probably not really. I mean, you could probably have a lot of stuff and not feel blessed. Does it mean you run a successful business? Eh, probably not. Does it mean your life is trouble-free? Well, not really. I think we can define blessed, and, and this might not sit well with you at first, okay? So just listen. I think we can define blessedness as happiness in righteousness. Now, blessedness really can be seen, the word is, is as simple as happiness. Some would say blessedness is this deep inner contentment with doing God's will, and maybe, but to me that just sounds like the right Sunday school answer, you know? Like this, oh yes, blessedness is happiness with this inner contentment with God's will. And that may be true, but happiness, it's, it's rejoicing. Blessedness is rejoicing and being happy in what's right, not what's wrong. It's finding happiness in righteousness. Okay, let me give you an example. You guys know that um, I love some things in life. The Cubs, Star Trek, eating, you know, just you know, general Stuff like that. There's a little, and food is high on my list of things I love, as you can tell. And uh, so, you know, I can go, like, if, when I'm in Chicago, there's nothing greater than Chicago pizza. I mean, it's just, I love Chicago pizza. And I've got about four pizza restaurants that I would hit. And, you know, in fact, when I was there in the pastor's conference, I made sure I hit, I got three out of the four of them in, you know. And so uh, I love it. And, you know, I can go, like, let's say, I can in my head say, if I eat like this, for five days in a row, I'm probably going to feel miserable after those five days. I mean, I can tell myself that, right? And I know that, but I'm in Chicago, you know, this is a once in, you know, in a year opportunity to get this much time, and I'm going to do it anyway. And sure enough, I sure enjoy eating it, <laughs> but after five days, I mean, I feel like a slug and, you know, just worthless and don't even want to get out of bed in the morning. Now, I also know that if I exercise for five days straight, those first two days of exercise probably are going to be painful. You know, that's going to hurt. But after those five days, probably, most likely, I'm going to actually start to feel pretty good. It's the difference between rejoicing in what I know is right and rejoicing in what I know is probably not right. It's a difference between rejoicing what's good for me and what's not good for me. That's what blessedness is. It's rejoicing and learning to be happy in righteousness. It's taking joy in what's right. The psalmist says, 
Blessed is the man. And the psalmist is talking about a happy man. I mean, you want to be happy? Psalm 1 sets the, is like the, the ultimate psalm. It's for the whole book of Psalms. It's setting a paradigm for us. You want to be happy? You want to be blessed? Here's what to do. A man that can see what's good and godly and right and rejoice in it, that is a happy man. But some of us can't do that. I mean, let's just face it. Some of us cannot find happiness in what's good and right and godly because we don't know how. Especially some of us guys have thought of church as religion. And you think, well, if I want to be happy, certainly it doesn't mean sitting through Pastor Dave every single week. I mean, I just do that because I have to, but that doesn't bring me happiness. You know, I mean, some of us think about in, in terms of this, we find happiness in other things. I always say that on Mother's Day, um, everybody, all women, you know, they get to choose, right, what they want to do. And women want to go to church on Mother's Day. On Father's Day, men want to go fishing. I mean, that's just kind of how it works out. And, you know, you look around and the numbers sort of dictate that I'm right on this. Absolutely. In fact, for uh, many men, religion, church, God is a girl thing. But godly men understand that true blessedness and happiness is found in righteousness. It's in doing what God wants. We settle, men, we settle for happiness in other things. Sports is number one. (laughs) We try to find it in sports and jobs and cars and music and movies and friends. And so sometimes this idea of being happy, finding blessedness in what God wants is a hard pill to swallow. But King David, who I think was a man's man, he understood this idea of blessedness. In, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, King David, and, and I don't know if you've heard this before, but King David is referred to by God as a man after God's own heart. Now, who doesn't want to have that? That's what every disciple wants to be called, isn't it? A man after God's own heart. If you've ever found yourself in a position of being uh, mentored by someone, maybe it's in work or maybe it's, uh, you know, in, in a certain hobby you have. But if you've ever had someone that you look up to as, as the example for you, someone you've learned from. I've had a number of different mentors in my life. I've had mentors in, on how to be a pastor. I've had mentors on just general, here's how you grow in godliness. I've had mentors on, you know, how to play baseball. And, and uh, I've never really had a Star Trek mentor. I think that just comes naturally to me. But, uh, you know, I mean, I've had different mentors in my life, d- different things. And there's no real, I mean, there's no, there's, a, there's always a time in which at some point someone has said to me, Dave, you remind me a lot of, and they've mentioned my mentor. There's no better compliment in whatever field you're in to be compared to your mentor. And in many ways, and in every way, as a follower of Jesus, there's no greater compliment than for us to be compared to our master. To say, you remind me of Jesus. What God said of David, that David was a man after God's own heart, there's no greater compliment. So do you want to find happiness? Do you want to be blessed? Do you want to be called a man after God's own heart? Then this, these first three verses in Psalm have some advice for you. 
These first three verses are going to tell you what not to do and what to do if you want to be truly blessed, if you want to find happiness and righteousness. And this isn't just for dads, okay? And this isn't just for men. We're using the term man here, but the term man means how person in this context. It's how blessed is the person who seeks after God. So here's what we're going to do today. I'm just going to look really phrase by phrase through this passage. And what I want to do is I, I want to point out two things. The first thing is what someone who desires blessedness doesn't do. The second thing is what he does do. And as a dad, we're going to have some specific applications for you. So let's talk about the don'ts first. What, what don't you do if you want to be blessed? The, the psalmist tells us three things here. I want to, there's three phrases that come. The first one is walk in the counsel of the wicked. That's what you don't do if you want to be blessed. The second thing you don't do is stand in the way of sinners. And the third thing you don't do is sit in the seat of mockers. And these three phrases have definite parallels to them. If you look at that first phrase, walk in the counsel of the wicked, go back to that one. You'll see that the, there's three verbs here. Walk, sit, stand, and sit. They're all sent parallel to each other. Walk, stand, sit. And then you see, what do you do? Walk in the council or stand in the way or sit in the seat. Those are all parallel. And then lastly, we, we see the object. Stand in the council of the wicked or the sinners or the mockers. And what you're going to notice is that in each of these phrases, what the psalmist is doing is he's letting us know that it gets worse. This is what you don't want to do if you want to be blessed. It starts with walking in the council of the wicked and then you take a step down. It gets worse. Then you stand in the way of sinners. And then finally, the ultimate is you'll sit in the seat of mockers. Let's look at each of these phrases a little bit. What does it mean to walk in the counsel of the wicked? Well, imagine that, you know, you're living, I don't know, 3,000 years ago. And you're walking down the road. And that's how you got somewhere in those days. You walked and you're traveling on this dusty road. And you happen to run into an old friend. And it wasn't intentional. You just ran into him. And uh, you haven't talked to this guy for years. And as you're walking, you catch up on things. And you realize that as you're talking that your friend's kind of had a tough time. Because he's been convicted by a court of law as someone who broke the law. He's declared guilty. That's what this word wicked means. Walk in the counsel of the wicked. A wicked was someone who had been declared guilty by a court of law for some immoral crime. It means guilty. You could say, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the guilty. And what you discover as you're walking with this old friend is that his life, I mean, he's guilty of not living out the law of God. He isn't a godly man. Now today, if you were to say to someone, well, you're guilty of not living out the Mosaic law, that would be no shock to any of us today because Pretty much everybody is guilty of that. You know, I mean, but, and most people aren't even trying to live out the Mosaic law. But at this time, that would have been a shock to people. To be branded as guilty of not living out the law of God was just a terrible offense. So you're walking along and immediately you realize that your friend is been declared, has been declared guilty of not living out the law. And as you talk, you begin to think, you know, he starts to ask about your life and you talk to him about your life. 
and you're talking to him about some tough things that are going on, and you say to your friend, you know what, I'd like your opinion on this. What do you think I should do on a particular tough situation? Do you see what you're doing? You're getting counsel from someone who's been declared guilty. You're getting counsel from him. It's as you tell him and you're asking his opinion. And what the psalmist says is, don't do that. The psalmist is saying, listen, you're walking along the road. It's not intentional. You run into someone. You rub elbows with them who is not walking or living a godly life. In fact, they've been convicted by a court of not living a godly life. That is not the kind of person that you should be seeking counsel from. You and I do this all the time. We seek counsel from people who are not desiring to live out a godly life. I mean, think about the, maybe some of the people that you run into the most often and know the best are people you work with. And as you're working, as you're rubbing shoulders, it's natural for you to talk about life and stuff. And I see Christians all the time that are getting counsel from completely godless people. And the reason it's dangerous is because a godless person is going to tell you whatever you want to hear. And those are the people we love to seek counsel from. I mean, you, you don't want to, if, if you don't care about God and really care about the person you're talking to, you just want to say whatever they want to hear so you'll be liked. And when we seek counsel from these people all the time, and this is why marriages end and people make terrible decisions in parenting and, and, and gossip happens and fighting happens. And it's because we get terrible counsel. So the problem is we know that if we get counsel from truly godly people, we'll probably hear something we don't want to hear. I think that's one way you know you've got godly counsel. Not all the time, but one way you know is if they tell you something that was hard that you didn't want to hear. That's how you know. Because sometimes God is using a fellow person, a fellow Christian, a fellow man, a fellow woman who is a godly person to speak truth into your life and you don't want to hear it. So rather than do that, we walk in the counsel of the wicked. But it gets worse. There's another phrase here. The second phrase is stand in the way of sinners or in the path of sinners. Now notice this downward request progression okay first of all you were just walking along the road doing your thing and you ran into this person now you're standing in the path or the way of sinners so you've made a choice you said you know i kind of liked doing that i kind of liked the influence of that person in my life so i'm gonna go to the place where the sinners are and i'm gonna hang out there you're seeking out sinners you're waiting You've sought out the ungodly and for the purpose of emulating your life. And why would you do this? Well, because you thought it brought you happiness. You're standing in the path waiting for the sinners to come by. Now, sinners. All right. This isn't a nice word. And, uh, you know, it's a judgmental word. But in, in Hebrew, this word was very synonymous with the word wicked. They were used the same way a lot. But the difference here is, is, is subtle but important. A wicked person was someone who'd been declared guilty by a court of law of breaking the Mosaic law. A sinner is someone who repeatedly had been declared guilty. It's the difference um, a a wicked person would be someone who had been convicted in court for petty theft. 
A sinner would be someone who'd convicted of court of petty theft like 15 times. And it's the difference between, I mean, you, you see the downward spiral here? It's the difference between just hanging out and running into to someone who's been declared guilty. Now, this person is seeking out that who's been declared guilty. I mean, you know, sin is fun, you guys. If sin wasn't fun, it wouldn't be attractive, and we wouldn't do it. But sin is doing what I want to do, and when I want to do it, and not doing it God's way. The ungodly seek out more ungodliness. (laughs) Some of you, you were raised in a very strict home. Now, whether it was a Christian home or not, I don't know. But some of you were raised in a strict home where your parents never let you experience anything. And and you're like, I want out. I want to experience life. And so you sort of seek out this lifestyle. You might be sort of trying on sin for size. You know, let's try this out. I never have to. Others of you just say, you know, I like this so much. I'm going to stand in the path of sinners because that's where it's at. Now, some of you would say, Dave, time out. Because what you're saying here, it sounds like you're saying that I should never hang out with sinners. I mean, that kind of sounds like, I mean, do I just, you know, have a holy huddle? We'll never leave this, uh, you know, let's build a compound and never leave it, right? And so we have a holy huddle. That's not what I'm saying at all. In in fact, Paul had said that, you know, uh, when he said don't interact with sinners, he didn't mean not at all people of this world, because if you did that, you'd have to leave the world. Jesus was called a friend of sinners. And so what I'm talking about is not interacting with the sinful world around us. I mean, we're sinners. What I'm talking about is not that. I'm talking about intentionally seeking out the counsel and lifestyle of those who could care less about God. I mean, I would ask you, who are your closest friends? Who are your closest friends? Who do you get your counsel and model your life after? Who is that? Is it someone who's godly or not? Dads, you want to know something? Your kids are watching you. And whether your kids are 30 or 5 or 2, they're watching at different levels. And they're watching who you're spending your time with. They're watching who you hang out with because they understand that where you spend your time is what you value. And they're watching how it's affecting you. Be careful, not of the people you just spend your time with. Be careful of who you model your life after. The one who's standing in the way of sinners and said, it's not just enough for me to take counsel from the ungodly. I want to be like the ungodly. But it gets worse. Blessed is a man who does not Walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. If you sit down in a seat, you're firmly entrenched. Some, some of you more firmly than others, right? But if you sit down, you're saying, I'm here to stay. You have a place. I mean, in, in the time of the psalmist, uh, you, had a, you had a place maybe at the city gate where all the people came. And if you sat, you had a seat. It's like, oh, that's, that's you know, Frank's seat right there. You know, we know he's here. And by the time you pick out a seat, you're firmly entrenched. You're not just hoping the wicked show up at this point. You're one of them. The verb there, sit, you sit in the seat of mockers. The verb sit means you made a choice to sit there. And the noun, seat, 
means you firmly established yourself. You picked out a seat amongst the wicked so you could be called one of them and you made a choice and you sat down there. You sat in the seat of mockers. A mocker is someone who mocks righteous living. You know, some of you like to mock people all the time. I take my fair share of being mocked. But that's not what I'm talking about. It's mocking righteous living. It's that you've come to the point at this point where you're so calloused at sin and your life that there's no guilt associated anymore. Godless living, it's just a way of life. You see the downward spiral, the progression? I mean, by the time you get to sitting in the seat of mockers, that's a scary place to be. Because you don't know righteousness. And you don't care. If you want to be a godly dad, if you want to be a man after God's own heart, don't do this. But it's not all hopeless. The psalmist isn't done. It's not just a list of rules of things you aren't supposed to do. You can check these off, right? And, you know, you'll be all good. No, no, no. The psalmist says there is hope. Don't do this, but rather do this. Look at verse 2. But his delight, the blessed man, the one's truly happy in righteousness, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The law of the Lord it, it's simply, I mean, you can, we can take that, especially as Christians, as, as a, a figure of speech that's talking about a part for the whole. Basically, we can understand that as, as the word of God. It's the entire counsel of God's word. You see, someone who delights in the law of the Lord loves God's words because they love God. Most people see uh, their daily Bible reading time as not... A delight, but as a duty. I mean, if you think of that word delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Most people look at that and go, okay, I know if I'm supposed to delight in the law of the Lord, then uh, I probably have to read my Bible every day. And so most people think of that as, you know, I get up and it's just like taking out the trash. If I'm going to delight in the law of the Lord, to delight in the law of the Lord means to get up and do the things that I know I'm supposed to do, like take out the garbage and, you know, Make sure that, I don't know, that everything is taken care of in the morning before I leave. And oh yeah, I've got to read my Bible. It's like on the chore list. But people who delight in the law of the Lord, people who truly delight in it, they don't just see the word of God as a to-do list. They treasure it. I had the opportunity uh, this week, actually, to eat a steak. Now, we don't eat a lot of steak in our house because it costs a lot and Frankly, um, I'm afraid to buy a steak because if I cook it myself, I'll probably butcher it. So uh, <laughs> not literally, but you know what I mean. And so, uh, you know, it'll just be bad. So I don't want to ruin it. But so if I get to go out and I get to order at a restaurant a steak, man, I, that's like, whew, I love that. I mean, there's something about a fine steak. One time I got to go to Fleming's and uh, it was the best steak I've ever had. You know, it was, it was just an amazing experience. And so there's nothing that compares to as far as meat eating goes, to, to cutting into just a perfectly prepared and tenderized steak. That is no duty. That is no duty. That is delight. That's the delight of cutting in and, and just enjoying it. You don't have to have anything else on the plate. Just the steak. It's fine with me. 
There's a delight in that. You know, Jesus said that his words are life. The, the truly happy man doesn't look at this as a call to duty. I better do this. But it looks at this, he looks at this as a delight. You know, I, I would eat this if I could. I mean, there are several passages in the scripture that talk about eating the words of God. Why do we talk about that? Well, because we need to sustain life. We need to eat to sustain. And these are the words that sustain life. But also because I love them. I delight in them. Jesus says his words are life. So we look at the law of the Lord and we delight in the law of the Lord. And then the last part of that verse 2 says, And on his law he meditates day and night. It means that God's word is with you all the time. Now, it doesn't mean that every second of the day that you have to be memorizing a passage of Scripture, right? I mean, you could never even converse with someone if that were the case. What this is, day and night is, is, is a figure of speech saying from the, the moment you get up in the morning to the moment you lay your eyes, the word of God permeates every decision you make, what you do. You delight in it day and night, every minute. Now, for some of you, that's like a foreign language. Like, how can you delight in this book? I don't even get it. Ah, but the more you delight in it, the more you get it, the more you spend day and night, the more these words permeate the, the way you live your life, they transform how you interact with people. That's blessedness. And that's happiness. The last phrase that I want to look at is in verse 3. Don't, Walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of mockers. Instead, delight in the law of the Lord and meditate in it day and night. And what will happen? He is like a tree. If you do this, you'll be like a rock anchored in righteousness. We bought two trees about three years ago. And we put these trees out in our yard, on the side yard. And these trees have never done well. And we couldn't figure out why. About halfway through the season, they would drop their leaves. And uh, it was just, they've never done real well. And I thought a couple times they had died, but they came back. And they just struggled. They're just pathetic looking trees. And so uh, finally, I said, you know, we had been back to the place we bought them like three times. And I said, listen, come out. You need to stop telling me what to do based on the leaf I brought you. You need to just come to my house because you planted these things and you need to take care of this. And so finally he did. He came out and he drove out to the house. And he walks up to the tree. And after three years, he takes this tree, which is it's probably about this big around. He grabs it and he goes, and he pulls the entire tree right out of the ground. Because for three years, when they dug that hole to plant that tree, they dug it into the hardest clay cement stuff. And they dug the hole just big enough for the roots to fit in. So those roots... Could, it was the, the soil was so hard that those roots couldn't even break through the clay. It was like they had been sitting in a pot for three years, rotting in the water that was sitting at the bottom. That's not a tree that's firmly planted. A tree that's firmly planted by streams of water. Don't you see this? The, the, the roots are digging down to this fresh stream of water where fresh nutrients are supplied to it, and it's constantly, continually growing. It doesn't have stagnant Water that's just filled in the bottom in the muck. Some of you are relying on stagnant water for your spiritual life. 
you memorized a passage of the Bible 10 years ago, and you know like four of them, and that's your spiritual nutrients. You haven't digested this book. There's not infinite supply of fresh water to your soul. You haven't lived on it day and night. You're just going on what you learned 10 years ago. A tree that's dug into the fertile ground and next to a stream with fresh water is continually growing. That's the blessed man. The man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. Now, listen, a lot of you guys here today, now um, you're like, oh, great, Dave, thanks a lot because you just made me feel really guilty. And that's awesome. Uh, just what I wanted on Father's Day. Bob told me not to do that on Mother's Day. He said, don't make men feel guilty on Father's Day. And so I'm not. Here's what I'm going to do, all right? Here's some simple just advice on dads on how you can be a tree that is anchored in fertile ground fed by streams of water. The first thing that I think is the easiest thing to do, dads, is to learn to love the words of God. Just learn to do it. Just make it part of your life. Um, Benjamin tried spinach at camp this week, and he liked it. But I couldn't believe it, you know? Because <laughs> you know, there's no Benjamin, you know, we can't get him to eat anything. He won't he didn't eat peanut butter because he thinks it looks funny, and so he won't eat it, right? He tried spinach and liked it. Now that's something that he can grow on. That's something good for him. It's amazing that when you dig in repeatedly to God's Word, how much you'll discover that it's food for your soul. Because if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of him, the Holy Spirit is working in you and, and, and the words are springing forth of life. So just start reading. Just start digesting this. You want to be a godly dad? Let the word of God permeate your life. The second piece of advice I would have is don't go on a religious kick. Please, guys, don't do this, okay? Don't go home and go, well, you know, I need to be a better dad. So tomorrow morning, 545, I'm getting all the kids up, okay? I'm dragging them out of bed and the wife. I'm dragging them down to the table, and they will sit there, and we will read a half an hour of Bible together. Uh, Don't do this, because you won't last more than like three days, and you'll burn out, and your kids will see it as another phase. Don't go on a religious kick. Rather, as a godly dad, start to involve the words of Christ in your life, on just everyday things you do. Incorporate God into things you already do. For example, my son, 12, uh, in sixth grade, because he's at the middle school, which is right close to my office, uh, I started taking him four mornings a week to the middle school and then just going to work. And so I had 10 minutes a day in the car with my son, which I loved. And I thought, how can I redeem these 10 minutes for the glory of God? And Nicholas likes electronics, so I pull out my iPhone and I pull up Mark. And I say, Nick, while I'm driving, you read. Read it out loud. Read the first paragraph of Mark. He goes, okay, cool. Give me your phone, Dad. I love to play with your phone. And he's scrolling through and he just reads it. And for five minutes, we talk about it. Now, what is that saying to my son? It's saying Dad values the Word of God. Is it anything hard? (laughs) No, that was pretty easy. Was it something special? I said, no. It was just a way to incorporate God into my everyday life. Maybe you put your kids to bed every night. Don't put them to bed without asking them, what did God do in your life today? I mean, I love, at dinner time, sometimes we'll just be sitting around and I'll ask my kids, how was your day? And each kid, each of my four kids goes through and tells me about their day. And then I'll say, what, how did God use you today? And I love that question. 
oh, I don't know, Dad, how did God use me today? They're beginning to think, they're beginning to see that I value the work of God in their life. Sometimes you can just be with your kids, and and if you're starting to, to, to read this word and to love it and to digest the words, sometimes just say to your family, you know what I read in the Bible today? I read about Ehud. He was a left-handed guy that stabbed a big king in the belly and his fat poured out. It was awesome. I mean, you can tell, you know, just tell them what you're reading. They know about that the word of God is important to you. Because the fact of the matter is, your kids will love what you love. Your kids will love what you love. Uh, Long story, to make a long story short, we... Um, as a family, got a dog about six months ago, and the dog didn't work out, so we had to return the dog, and we're getting a new puppy. And so a very traumatic, emotional week for the Brooks family as the kids came home from camp and discovered that their dog was gone and that they were going to have to get a new one. But we turned the corner rather quickly by talking about new names for the dog. Um, here's what I thought were very, very interesting. The names that were thrown around from the dog were either Cubs names, had some association with Wrigley Field, right? Those names were thrown around for the dog. Um, Bible names were thrown around for the dog, Malachi, which I think is not a good dog's name, but they liked it, so it's in the mix, you know? And then uh, um, Star Trek names were in the, the list, you know? And I, and I think we might actually end up with a Star Trek name for our dog. All right, now why did these names come out, right? Because they're things I love. I mean, it's me and my life poured into my kids. My, dads, The biggest encouragement I can give you is just love the Lord with your whole heart. And your kids will see that you love the Lord. Feast on him and they will feast on him because what you value, they will value. It's the greatest encouragement I can give you. So in summary, be happy. Blessed is the man. Don't take your life model from the ungodly. Rather, take it from the words of Christ and let him transform your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And dads, being a godly dad isn't really that hard. It's just a simple matter of loving the Lord and letting him flow out of your life. Let's pray as we close. God, I want to thank you today for uh, the group of dads that are here today that are saying, just by being here, that they value God and they value the things of Christ. And so, God, I do pray that you would be honored and, and that you would help our dads to raise up godly children who love Jesus and that the, our passion for Christ would overflow into our kids' lives. And, God, we need your help because us dads, we know how often we get it wrong. And we know that... So many times we're just screw-ups and failures and we don't make it. And yet we need your grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so today, God, I pray that every dad would walk away from here encouraged. Encouraged to love you more. Encouraged um, that on their own they can't do this. But with your power and with the power of your Holy Spirit and your example, Father, of a great dad, God, we can And so we take our cue from you and we pray that you would help us to be the kinds of dads that we so desperately want to be, that you would help us to be happy in righteousness. And we pray this all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen.